Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Prodigy Edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores. If you are new to our show, we cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Star Trek from the Holodeck. Now, our preferred podcast provider is iTunes, and we need you all to give us a five star rating and drop a review. It helps our show grow. And it triggers algorithms that help more eyes see our show pops up on people's feeds. So please do so. I may have to put together a contest because if we can't get our large listener base to simply give us a review or at least drop us a five-star rating, you know how long it takes to do a five-star rating? It takes one second. One second. That's it. If you don't want to leave a review, fine. Give us the rating. I'll take that. Uh, But we may put together a contest for that. Maybe some giveaways. So stay tuned. All right. So in the studio today with me is, of course, Ensign David Sabal. Hello. God, dude, I'm so excited for this show. Just absolutely that opening theme. What the hell? Well, when you bring on (laughs) a known Star Trek composer to compose your theme, I think we have a win. (laughs) When you bring on the guy that composed the themes for... Star Trek, the 2009 reboot, Into Darkness, Star Trek Beyond. Guess what? We're probably in good hands. When when that opening theme first started, I'm like, I was like going, am I right? I want, I'm actually watching a Star Trek show that's a cartoon, right? Wow. We get an actual theme, dude. I mean, like, I've gushed about the opening theme of... Uh, Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Yeah. Compared to Discovery and Picard. Oh, David, do we have a problem when Prodigy and Lower Decks, <laughs> Lower Decks. both have better theme songs and intros than Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard? How? Especially Star Trek Picard. Discoveries is okay. Discoveries is okay, but... Picard but is just... I mean, I don't want to start this show up on a bad note, but it's garbage. No, no, it, well, the the overall problem with the with the first two themes, they never truly felt Star Trekky. They mm-hmm. didn't have that vibe. It didn't have you the get, classic vibe. Yeah, it didn't have the all. classic vibe. Lord Dex, that sounds like classic TNG uh, of TNG theme. Yeah, this one, I was like going, this is like reminiscent of like. 2009, the beginning of the new era or the old era of Star Trek. The old cinematic. The old cinematic universe. Yeah, which is cool, which is what I see a lot of things popping up on the blogs. A lot of people say, wow, this Star Trek prodigy is way more cinematic than than (laughs) I had expected. And I would actually agree with that consensus. I did not expect this series to be nearly as cinematic as it was. 
I mean, needless to say, I was impressed. And we're going to get through all of the details. It wasn't a perfect pilot episode. No, it wasn't. Very rarely do we get a perfect pilot of anything. But if you told me that this was supposed to be a Nickelodeon show, which originally it was. Yeah. I'm like going... That's a there's a lot of quality here for a Nickelodeon show. Yeah. Where basically I remember when we me and you first heard about Prodigy, we were kind of like glancing at it sideways saying, "Okay, it's supposed to be a kids show geared towards kids for Nickelodeon. It was going to be kind of like Star Trek light. That's what everyone thought." Yeah. And then as we got to this point with the with the premiere suddenly we started thinking well wait a minute suddenly they add it to uh to their big streaming service mm-hmm. suddenly they're doing more press releases there's more talk about like hey we brought the, these actors back from yeah. the classic star trek and then we get to the premiere dude you start us off with that theme and i'm like like this is not supposed to be a kid's show. This is supposed to be an actual legitimate Star Trek well, show. Well, listen, if their goal, which we know this is what their goal is, is to bring in a new breed of Star Trek fans, a new generation. Well, if you're going to try to sell them on Star Trek, then this needs be the this needs to be the epitome of Star Trek. Yeah. You you can't sure you can veer and do some original things which they actually did do in the series, which I do appreciate, but at its core, it this needs to represent Star Trek in all facets. Yeah. There's no room for license in in the way of just negating typical Star Trek tropes that need to be included. Whereas with this, it's like, listen, we're trying to sell this to kids and we need to make sure that this is Star Trek. We can't bait and switch them. We can't just say, hey, this is Star Trek. Love it. And then they try to move on in an older age and watch Star Trek. And they're like, wait a second. This is nothing like Prodigy. So that being said, they're definitely working within those star trek tropes while also doing their own thing and we're going to get through all of this in a second the episode title that we're going to be discussing is of course the pilot episode lost and found part one and two written by kevin and dan hagman directed by ben hyben so the synapses a group of lawless teens Oh, that sounds so rebellious. (laughs) Exiled in a mining colony outside Federation space. I would say they're quite outside. They're quite out. That's an awful outside of Federation space. They're trying to make it sound like it's Romulan territory or Klingon territory. Yeah. They're nowhere near Federation space. So they discover a derelict Starfleet ship. So. This was the series I expected when I heard kid. Yes. I expected very, very silly. Yes. And sure. We did get some of those kid moments, understandably, but the episode also had a mature tone to it. it and did. the way of threat level and the way of development of our characters, motivation. There's a fucking story. There's an air of mystery that is laid out as the foundation. There's character arcs. A foundation that our story is built on. There are character arcs built, as you said, on top of that foundation. I didn't quite expect an attention to narrative as well. Yeah. I mean, if you if you were talking about like a kid's show, you wouldn't get any of this type of quality. And like I was in 
incredibly impressed. There are very few kid shows that are like this. Like this. Yeah. Yes. The, it was very action heavy Mm -hmm. with the, with the premiere. But I think that that's actually one of its strengths strengths because you have to get your audience engaged and get them engaged fast. Especially, I think, honestly, the the cool thing for like Prodigy and Lower Decks, the producers and the writers seem to always approach. This is just from what I've been noticing, especially in the interviews. They approach their series with a chip on their shoulder. Like they're told that, oh, you guys are not as good because you guys are cartoons. <laughs> and then suddenly they want to say, oh, okay, fine. We're going to prove you. It's the underdog mentality. And Lower Decks is infamous for it because Mike McMahon just wants to, you know, whip out his big dick on the table and smack Picard. Wants to, like, uh, teabag Michael Shabon in the face. Okay. Well, I don't think that's what he wants to do, but that's what I want him to do. <laughs> yes. But, like, with the Hagman, with the, the team of Hagmans, they did a fantastic job basically saying, we're going to, everyone thinks we're a good kids show? Oh, no, no. We're going to bring the same energy that you know we got in the original star trek cinematic movies mm-hmm. and bring that to this show and i thought that was really genius because that's one of the strengths of the abrams uh abrams cinematic universe was like you had this really high octane action packed feeling with star trek this excitement right. and it was very organic feeling and you get the same feeling in prodigy because like the amazing thing was we don't have characters to fall back on for nostalgic purposes. You realize that we didn't even get it until the very end. Yeah. The characters here were all thought out really well. They're all very, you know, charismatic in their own way. Like I've uh, right out of the first part, I was like, okay, I can feel comfortable watching a series with doll as the lead yeah i yeah i agree and disagree and we'll get to that in a second uh i feel like the characters were fine for a pilot for a pilot although they're i I, there's a lot of work to do i i feel like i wouldn't say that's a negative but we'll get to that in a second there is one element dave that i did not expect but probably should have expected i didn't expect there to be a big star trek voyager connection which i actually really like and i don't know if you picked up on half of it i don't know if star trek fans well star trek fans probably did i don't know if blogs did because i don't see a lot of a lot of people talking about it uh, a lot of the mystery uh, there's the obvious a lot of the mystery seems like it might hinge on potential ramifications caused by the Federation influence brought into the Delta Quadrant yes. while Voyager was lost. Yes. That's another thing I didn't expect. We had been talking up until the premiere. Well, what quadrant is this going to take place in? I know the writers had said it's going to be a distant galaxy. So we had assumed, okay, maybe something entirely new, something beyond the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Which would be cool as well. However, we find ourselves in the midst of the Delta, the Delta Quadrant, Quadrant, which I liked that. And they made sure we understood that connection immediately by having the inclusion of a Kazon individual. Yes. Uh, this is an element, this whole connection to Voyager that I really like. I like being in the Delta Quadrant. It allows us, it allows for us Voyager fans 
to live vicariously through Prodigy. Meaning, and this is something I've talked about a lot in our Star Trek shows, as DS9 fans, Voyager fans, and Enterprise fans, we have we we have come to expect or at least accept that we're probably never going to see stories that deal directly with the aftermath of any of our favorite shows. Yes. Um, because unfortunately, when you think Star Trek, the mainstream ga- gravitates to the Captain Kirk era, the Spock era, and the Picard era. And the mainstream doesn't even know who Cisco is for the most part. They don't know who Catherine Janeway is. So we are left, us fans of those shows, are kind of left just hoping that someday we'll get a book <laughs> or a comic or book. Or a comic. But a TV series or a movie, I think most of us have given up on that, that it's, it's not going to happen, especially since some of those cast members have died. Yes. Uh, but with a show like this, it works in a similar fashion as Lower Decks. Through the show, we get a glimpse of things after the series ended. Yes. Lower Decks gives us a glimpse into the TNG era within that quadrant. Yes. You know, what happened after? It's not necessarily deep. It's superficial, but it still gives us a glimpse. Having Janeway a part of the show as a hologram makes even more sense now. I was always excited about having Kate Mulgrew come back to Voyager. Or I'm sorry, to Star Trek in some capacity. But I did question her connection. Okay, well, why Janeway? Of all people, why Janeway? And now we see... We see the connection. We understand it. It makes more sense to have hologram Janeway be a part of the cast because of where the setting takes place, being back in the Delta Quadrant. But it goes much further than that. One reason the setting works so well in the Delta Quadrant is because of the lack of Federation influence in the Quadrant, quadrant, which will be interesting to see the typical Trek utopian ideals paralleled with what feels like a dystopian-style villain. Well, you know what's amazing about this idea of the USS Protostar being lost in the Delta Quadrant with Hologram Janeway, it carries on the idea that they tried to, t- they tried to push as part of its narrative toward the end of Voyager, that Janeway was so transfixed on just saving her family, you know, the crew. That was her main goal. She didn't care about anybody else. She wasn't paying attention to like the effect of their travels through the quadrants. Like there was damage that was done because the Voyager was trying to get home. Well, look at the fact that they could have destroyed. It's not necessarily the Janeway we got, but it was the older Janeway that almost just she ran the risk. She was very unethical. She was and, unethical. And I feel like it worked because that Janeway was going to be erased anyways by Janeway being forced to do what old Janeway wanted her to do. I mean, yeah, you, you are right. There are ramifications. Now I feel like Janeway did her best to uphold Star Trek or I should say Federation ideals. Uh, There were moments that she was challenged and she had to come face to face with her Federation and Starfleet ideology and use it as a way to explain or justify actions in a quadrant so far away what do I do? Do I break the rules? In fact, that's why there was an episode, I forgot the name of it, uh, where they were introduced 
we as an audience were introduced to a new Federation crew that was also brought over by the caretaker. And you saw the contrast. They paralleled the two ships and you saw how one threw away the book completely. The captain threw away the book and said, fuck it. We're all alone. Why are we going to follow Federation ideology when we're all by ourselves out here and no one else gives a shit? We are going to die. So what did he do? He threw away everything he believed in to survive. And in the end, it killed him. Whereas Janeway upheld as much as humanly possible. She upheld her belief structure. Even to the end, sure, there's aftermath and there's some decisions where you probably question all of our captains. Our characters wouldn't be interesting if they didn't do questionable things at some point. Picard made questionable decisions in first contact. Cisco made questionable decisions during the tail end of Deep Space Nine that haunted him, that really galvanized his character as important in the world of Star Trek. We had same thing with, with Janeway and Voyager. It's always, seven to nine. It's always been a thing. It's always been a thing. And like the amazing thing is like everyone's talking about the mystery. Why is the USS Protostar here? Why was it sent? Why was it lost in the Delta Quadrant? And I, I was thinking to myself, if you know Voyager and you know how it ended, it kind of would make sense that Janeway would send the U.S. protostar back to the Delta Quadrant to kind of, I don't know, plant the seed of the Federation yeah, in the Delta Quadrant. But that's not what happened, Dave. See, you didn't, yes. pick, you didn't pick up on it. I didn't pick up and, on and it. And that's what other people didn't either. Okay, yes. so let's break this down. Let's break down the timeline. So in order to break down the timeline... We have to go through everything bit by bit. Exactly. Okay. So number one, Star Trek Prodigy takes place in the year 2383. Okay. Star Trek Voyager takes place and ends around 2374, I want to say. Let yes. me, let it's me, around the 70s. Let, give me a second. Talk for a second because I'm going to verify. Hold on. Yeah. it's it. This is the uh, what I'm glad you're going to bring up is like, the thing that I missed because I was like going, it would make so much sense because to, to, to tie in the Voyager, the storyline. But then when you actually start piecing everything together, there's something bigger going on here with the USS Protostar. And okay. So just to give some context. Yeah. The dominion war and the film insurrection took place in 2375. Star Trek nemesis took place in 2379. Lower Decks takes place 2380. Yes. And the finale of Star Trek Voyager season seven took place between 2377 and 2378. So we have now Star Trek Prodigy at 2384. Or 2383. Okay. So that's five, six years after Voyager. Now, in order to completely understand what's happening and where this mystery lies. And I could be completely wrong. I, I could be deducing should, I could be interpreting it wrong. I should say. Okay. So all we know about the protostar so far is that it was hiding. Yes. That's all we know. We don't know exactly why, nor do we know who put it there. But if we look at an episode in Star Trek Voyager, it was said in the episode lifeline, where doctor, the doctor is sent to the Alpha Quadrant through a holographic transmission. Transmission, yeah. Okay. And it was mentioned 
that Starfleet, once they were aware that the Voyager had survived, they sent two deep space vessels redirected to USS Voyager six years earlier and were expected to rendezvous with Voyager in the year 2383. So, the Federation sent this ship in an episode we've all been watching. Yes. Now, we saw one of those ships. I believe the Romulans had commandeered it for a bit, and Doctor, the Doctor had to fight and defend it. I want to say that's what happened. It's been a while since I watched that episode. We never saw the second vessel. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I'm assuming this is the second vessel. This would make the most sense it in would. the way of Star Trek continuity, Star Trek canon. So the question now is, how did it get buried underground? And that's why this show completely swept me in. Yes. Swept me up in Star Trek enthusiasm because they're using things from Star Trek Voyager. And bringing it back to Hologram Janeway, I love it because, as I said, we can live vicariously through Prodigy and learn about the aftermath of Voyager, Voyager. and how the Delta Quadrant actually ended up shaping or shaping up because we had thought, and it's actually, it was actually embedded within much of the, the themes of Voyager. What, what are the ramifications of a Starfleet vessel, a lone Starfleet vessel in the Delta Quadrant, and what will happen once they leave? Because in a lot of ways, the USS Voyager became a a ship to some as a death ship because they viewed them as invaders. Yes, but for many, they for many they viewed Voyager as this beacon of hope and peace. Now, for you to remove that beacon of hope and peace like that, literally a snap of your fingers, once they found the trans warp conduits and left back to their quadrant. They were gone. They were gone. MIA after they left such an influence there and an impact. And I'm hoping that Prodigy actually deals with that impact and that influence, whether it be a good influence that affected people. Maybe it caused some to become villains. Perhaps this, this villain we have, maybe he was slighted in some way uh, because of Voyager's actions. Perhaps, you know, him being the last the one of two members of his species him and the character Gwen, maybe that has something to do with something that the Voyager crew did inadvertently. So it makes a lot of sense if they are going to continue to draw these, these connections or parallels to Voyager, because how does he know of the Federation? How did he know that there was a ship lost or buried? So the fact that this TV series has this much detail, this much mystery, that is why I liked this episode and I'm really looking forward to prodigy because there is a thought process behind yeah. the story. Well, didn't they, didn't they, I think it was the villain or something, or it was one of the characters that talked with doll that basically said something about on the lines of being a symbol of hope. There was, I remember that. I don't know if it was part one or part two, but during the end, they tied the idea of hope to doll, the character of doll that he always is basically like wanting to be better and doing better the yeah. next day and bringing this idea of hope yeah. to all these like fugitives. And I was like going, 
when you take your the idea of what you're uh, you brought up about like what happens when this entire quadrant loses that symbol of hope, which was the Voyager, mm-hmm. and what happens when it's snuffed out, and how maybe the this villain sees the dangers of this outsider force in the Federation this that's pervasive invite, influence, this pervasive yeah. influence that destroys their bottom line or their, their, their means or their way of life, their way of life. Yeah. I think you're onto something. Isn't that cool? Like, that's why I was, that's why I sent you a message. The moment I, the episode premiered and I watched it, I was like, dude, there's, there is some deep thoughts behind this series. It yeah. isn't, it isn't just, Hey guys, let's have fun. It's a kid's show. No, they're actually going into some, deep cuts yeah and i'm I'm hoping that basically what we're seeing partially it could be because we're so tuned into the story of voyager and where we left off in the last uh, in the last story that we ever had with janeway yeah i'm hoping that we're just not seeing it because we're vo- we're voyager fans but we're seeing it because The writers, yeah, the writers, (laughs) the writers who said that basically they've gone on record saying that we are trying to pay homage and continue the story of Voyager. That's why Uh, Kate Mulgrew's here. I hope, man. I I hope it is. It can't be a coincidence. It's too much. It's the fact that you have a ship that was sent that was supposed to rendezvous with Voyager in 2383. And then this show takes place in 2083. It's too much of a coincidence. Yes. And that's why I, I was spacking myself when I realized I didn't notice it till now because I was so tuned in to. I just finished my Voyager rewatch, simple, so that's why I was able to yeah figure it out. The yeah. simple I was looking at the simple idea right here because I'm going into this thinking it's a kids show. There's there's there can't be any deep cuts. Nope, there's deep in, cuts, David. But there's deep cuts coming, and the biggest the biggest one that I had when. You bring up when you brought up the uh, that notion of basically this is the second ship, this is the second lost ship, and I'm like going, well, wait a minute, how did how did within that time they develop a hologram of Janeway? But then you basically throw in the fact that well, wait a minute, they the holograms themselves can travel, yeah, transwarp instantly. Right. That's right. So. That Jane they uploaded the program. They uploaded the pro- program, and it's just waiting to be uh, waiting to be activated. And why would that type of hologram, one that we've never seen before, which is a training program? Yes, of course, it fits into the show and these kids that don't know anything about Star Trek. It's an interesting concept that works, you know, dual purpose. It's dual serving, but hey, listen, there's got to be some logic behind it too. Why was this type of program uploaded? To the ship, or take it, take it, and also the ship is made to operate with a twenty-man crew, which is very small. It's very small. So, what was the purpose of of the ship besides besides rendezvousing with Voyager? Unless it was always intended to be a ship that, hey, listen, we're going to meet with you, holographic crew, and then we will find a way to get you back with whatever technology. I don't know. Well, I, hopefully we find out, right? Yeah. And take it even further. Okay. We've been talking about how the Federation, a ship like the Voyager, which the USS Protostar is very reminiscent of Voyager, just downscaled. It's a very smaller ship. Yeah. But like intrepid class, right? It's what yeah. Voyager it's an intrepid was. Yeah. class. And then, but if you take a think about it, let's even take it further. They're in the Delta Quadrant. 
We know that races in the Delta Quadrant know Janeway because she's been all over that quadrant. Yeah. She's made friends and she's made enemies. Yep. So to have a hologram pop up that basically, hey, look, it's Cap- it's Captain Janeway from Voyager. It would almost be, it. it's almost like someone knew they're going to be in the Delta Quadrant. Let's give them a figurehead that they would understand and they know. Yeah, there's so many crossover type of elements they can do now. In fact, now that we're in a Delta Quadrant, I'm going to be a Star Trek fan baby for a second and throw away all academic merits, okay? We have to see Neelix. Neelix was left in the in the, in the Delta, Delta quadrant. quadrant. Yeah, he stayed behind. I mean, come on. We have to see Neelix if we're in the Delta Quadrant. Well, dude, it makes me wonder because we, we know in news, we know Chakotay, uh, the actor that was brought on who plays Chakotay, is going to make an appearance. And I'm hoping that was it, for the purpose of you know, PR and excitement and they're leaving the let the, the, the rest of the crossover characters or guest spots. I'm hoping they keep it a secret until the day of, but it makes me wonder though, at the end of Voyager, we all know the fates of Janeway. We know the fate of seven of nine to some degree, everybody else, you know, Balana and all of them. We all know where they went. The one character that I've always wondered, what the hell did they, where did he go? Was Chicote like he you went, never see it? He went back to a Kuchamoya land. <laughs> Kuchamoya, <laughs> fucking hate that. And yeah, see, we don't like that, Mike. So let's change it. Let's say Kuchamoya. this is this is just this is just you know tinfoil hat moment. If they were to actually say Chicote went back to the Delta Quadrant, yeah. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, well, because like uh, Chicote was more comfortable in the Delta Quadrant. Quite honestly, I mean, if you think about it, when he was in Federation Space, it seems what was like he? he found his true purpose. He found his purpose yeah, in the yeah. Delta Quadrant. Yeah. When he was in Federation Space, he's part of the Maquis. Yeah, he was. And he was a fugitive. And he found his, <laughs> his true love. He found his true yeah, love. Yeah, <laughs> you know. How can you not? All right. So let's talk about the characters. As you were getting into a little while ago, they're interesting enough. I'm not against them. They really didn't give us much in the way of development, in my opinion. No, no. It feels like the character with the most development, and she was the most interesting, was actually Gwen. Gwen, yeah. The I believe she was the other, what number one of two members of her species that's left. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dal has potential. The ingredients were there. I like the angle of mystery being used as a motif to govern pretty much everything, including Dal's origins. I do like that. He's a completely new species. Even people in the Delta Quadrant don't know what he is. And since they made that uh, an actual point to make in the episode, I have to think that his species is going to have some big relevance to the actual series in itself. Because why even build that up as a mystery? Yeah. You know, if you want to introduce a new species, introduce a new species. That isn't a problem, especially since we're in the Delta Quadrant. There's a lot of things we don't know about the Delta Quadrant. But the fact that no one knows what he is. Exactly. So that also is yet another big element that they're using to govern this show's narrative. And I'm on board with that. So that's good. That's why I say the ingredients are there. But outside of that, I saw a guy guy that was just kind of a typical cartoon protagonist running around, bouncing around, doing the silly things. Yeah. Um, Which... Listen, I get it. It is a kid show, and uh, that's what kids like to see from their lead. You know, someone who's funny, someone who's a bit of a rogue, someone who um, 
does silly, crazy things. So I, I'm, I understand why they did it. Yeah. But at least there's no, uh, screaming and there's no falling. <laughs> no one knows that what you mean. No <laughs> exactly. One. Exactly. That's a little and inside I'm glad joke. They don't. And yeah, but like even, even with doll, I like the fact that they didn't go to kitty with him. No, He's, they did what they had to do. They did what they had to do. And because they did that, he's more relatable to a mature audience. I would agree. And I would say 70% of the show is actually grounded in more mature tones. Oh, yeah. I was really surprised with, with yeah. a lot of the mature tones, especially with the villains. Yep. I wasn't expecting really big things about villains. I wasn't expecting, you know, like us to... Kind of, I, I honestly think we met our villain for the entire series season, which is the guy that's chasing them down for the proto star. But I was just expecting something almost more comedic with yeah. with a villain, especially for a kids show. Well, the voice for the character is John Noble, and if people don't know who he is, the guy is fucking awesome. Oh, he's phenomenal. he is such a good actor. Yeah. So to have him voice a villain is Perfect, because he has the best villainous voice. I'm actually very happy overall with everything. Now, the pilot overall was ser- served its purpose. Yeah, uh, it got the show going. Functionally speaking, uh, the writers included everything that needs to be included in a pilot. You had myth arc, mystery, setting, and the why. What are the characters fighting for? We got all of that. They want freedom. They want you know to break the the chains of you know tyranny, tyranny essentially yeah so it was there everything that needed to be involved in a pilot was there the animation was stunning seeing the protostar flying through the prison colony and breaking free into space it was a thing of trek dreams i mean i was so <laughs> giddy was. when they started firing phasers i'm like oh i love this <laughs> this is so good um the action was concise and motivational um, meaning it was motivated. It wasn't just, hey, guys, let's have some silly action. There was reasons behind the action. It served to create suspense and raise the stakes. I hope not every episode is this action-oriented, which I'm not sure they can do because this is a kid's show. You got to have those action sequences in order to keep their attention. You got to have flashy lights. Because I will say the pilot felt more like a space opera opposed to a classic Star Trek episode. And Star Trek is not a space opera. It is not Star Wars. And there were moments that felt a little like Star Wars. Uh, With a show like this being for kids, that is an aspect that's going to be really hard to avoid yeah that's why star wars works so well with young kids because it's swashbuckling it's fun excitement star trek is more serious so we'll see what they do we'll, we'll see what they do so far it seems like they're skirting that line yeah in the pilot because the pilot to me uh, in the beginning of the show i mentioned about just about the music how it reminded me of like the cinematic universe mm-hmm. the vibe i get from this one yes it's very action oriented but the action kind of reminds me of the jj abrams films you know especially star trek beyond while those action scenes while it was really action heavy, a lot of people say that it was way too much action um 
the strength of those ones was it, the ability to bring in a new audience and basically say, hey, here's this high octane action story that we're going to do based in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. That's the vibe I got in this one is kind of like, okay, the pilot, it's not perfect. It's very action heavy. But if you were to actually look at this and say, do you get the same vibes that you get when you watch the 2009 reboot, the, the Star Trek film? And I, I, I almost got that vibe where it's like, yeah, it's very action heavy. You have those, you have those really quick, you know, character moments that aren't too deep, but you just have like this sliver of, of hope that basically there's going to get to deep cuts. Yeah. The thing with Star Trek 2009, I felt like it was a good Star Trek film. The, the thing that was removed was the philosophical. The philosophical. And exactly. that's why I will never look at those movies as my favorite iterations of Star Trek. Although it's missing the philosophical, it does have the heart. Yes. The first movie has the heart of Star Trek. So does the third one, Star Trek Beyond. Into Darkness was a big, you know, what the fuck? I I don't know what they were trying to do. But the two out of three of those films had the heart of Star Trek. Trek. It was missing the philosophical, but it still still felt like Star Trek. And I think that's the good, that is how I view Prodigy. It has the heart and... I don't know. Did it does have it, much does it though have the heart? Did we really get any Star Trek moment? Definitely, I would say the first finding when the first initial find of Protostar, USS Protostar. Yes, I would definitely. Agree. Yep. Um, but outside of that, there there wasn't a lot, and that's not a negative necessarily. I, I, again, you're dealing with a 45 minute pilot, part pilot. one and part two. When you take out commercials, they did what they needed to do to get the show rolling while keeping kids in the forefront of their minds as they're writing. So yeah. I'm fine with that. However, moving on, this is different than a movie. This is a series with multiple episodes. And I'm hoping not every episode just simply has the heart of Star Trek. I hope it has the ideology of Star Trek ideology, yeah. which I'm, I'm assuming it will, because if you remember Kate Mulgrew's interview, she, she had, she stated that this feels a lot like a series that is designed to teach the youth, the younger generation about Star Trek and what Star Trek stands for. The ideology, the ideals, the ideals, the ideals of the Federation. Yeah. So keeping that in mind, I'm, I'm not nervous. I'm thinking no. that we'll get there eventually. You know, the funny part, I uh, originally, I thought I was going to be really nervous when we f- saw the animation of uh, Janeway for the first time. And I was impressed. Once Janeway showed up, the animation on, on her face and characteristics just were really great. And comparatively at that point, when Janeway shows up, She's the first human we truly actually see. That's right. Yeah. Surrounded by a bunch of aliens. And at first I was really worried that visually would actually be one of the deterrents of the prodigy because you would be more quote unquote star Wars than star Trek because you have nothing but aliens on board. Yeah. And when they introduced Janeway, I was worried the animation of her would stick out, 
But instead, I honestly loved the animation of Janeway. Yeah. I thought it was very clean, very believable. I, I dig that basically this is, and it's a younger version of her too. If you actually look at the 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 character model, they kind of modeled the character to be a younger version of Janeway. Hmm. I wonder if that's just the animation style though. Do you think they that's are, what I'm wondering too, yeah. because well, we'll I'm so interested to see the story of the hologram Janeway. That's a question I had for you. Do you think we are going to get an actual story arc for her or do you th- see, or do you see hologram Janeway simply being a plot device? Like a plot device in what way though? Like in this episode, hi guys, I'm here to help you fly the ship like that. No, no. I honestly think if Do you think she's going to be more relevant, I think she's going to be more relevant, especially hopefully just like what you said with what Kate Mulgrew said, where it's like, the focus of this series is to kind of teach people about the fundamentals and the ideals of the Federation. Yeah. Then I think that the hologram is going to play a big role in that because she's the spokesman. Who else is going to actually know about Federation ideals more than Janeway? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give this pilot episode an 80% on the RMD, blah, 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 on the RMD score. David. What about yourself? I actually had it at an 80 also, but after the theme song, dude, my score went up because it is a kick-ass theme and it went up to 85. Okay. Because I love the music, not just the theme song, but the entire score of the episode. Yeah. I'm like going, the music is far better than any, any of the other series. I mean, Lower Decks comes close, but Prodigy, the quality of the music was really good. Yeah, so the actual composer, let's see here. I, I think this is how you pronounce his name. Michael Giacchino. He is the big swinging deck yes. composer. He does a lot of things, a lot of things within the world of film. But the composer that does everything. Here, let me find it. I want to make sure I have all my facts here. I apologize. The actual composer. Okay, so the opening for Prodigy features a theme scored by Academy Award winner Michael Giacchino, who also scored 2009 Star Trek, 2013's Star Trek Into Darkness, and 2016 Star Trek Beyond, which I love all three of their soundtracks. Yes. The other composer I want to see is Nami Malumad. They are the individual that does the score throughout, which was also very well done. So overall, we have a very strong composing team, but I am happy they got Michael Giacchino to do this. <laughs> but I mean, what an, dude, imagine that the dude comes in and composes a theme song for a Nickelodeon animation. Exactly. He came in and didn't do it for Discovery. Nope. Yeah. He didn't do it for Picard. Well, again, it goes back to what you said, and I agree with this. You said that there's a bit of a I want to prove myself mentality when it comes to, you know, the lower decks writers. And now hopefully we're gonna have the same thing with Prodigy. Prodigy. A lot of people are probably looking at them like, eh, whatever, shrugging, eh, it's a cartoon, fuck them. 
You know, we're focused on Picard and live action. So then these writers are like, oh, fuck you guys. We're going to fucking show you up. I mean, we're going to bring on fucking Michael Giacchino. I'm going to work for free for five episodes so I can afford him. I mean, that's probably what the showrunner did. He thought, you know what? I'm going to give up 50% of my paycheck so I can have Michael Giacchino. I'm like going, when Picard season two comes out, dude. Oh, come on. Why? Do you have to bring it up? if, if, If the premiere of Picard season two... I kid you not. I'm going to compare it to the, the premiere of this. I just let it go. No, no, I don't want to. I, I want to move on. <laughs> I'm tired of it. I'm tired. All right. This does bring us to the end of our discussion. Oh, Dave. No, I want to ask. What would you like to see happen with this show? Now that we know what the show's about for the most part, we understand the foundation, right? Yeah. Okay. So that being said, we know characters. We know setting. What are things you would like to see? Just give me one or two. One or two. And keep it brief. Well, number one, I want to see Voyager characters show up for the Delta Quadrant. Just like you said. Did you say Delta Quadrant? Delta Quadrant. That sounds like a fun (laughs) quadrant. But I'm happy you brought up Neelix Mm -hmm. because Neelix was left behind in the Delta Quadrant. (laughs) And I'm pretty excited to see Cass. Would you like to see Cass? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she comes and tries to destroy the protostar i'm oh so my, angry i'm so angry at you still <laughs> why are you angry it makes no sense we liked you we treated you fairly <laughs> why do you have to hate us all the time bipolar alien that was the thing i hope that kes well you know what? maybe if kes shows up maybe they gave her some meds oh and <laughs> all of a sudden she's not bipolar that's, anymore that's so fucked up <laughs> but um, what the one thing is I want to see legacy characters show up. I really do. Um, specifically well, from Voyager. Honestly, anything is possible, even though we're in the Delta Quadrant. I mean, we're talking about holograms at this point. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of bring on, you could bring on Kirk if you wanted to. <laughs> when you think about it as a guest appearance, I don't know if I want to see that because I like to be objective and do this. Does the show really need it or to be, or would it just be simply fan service? I'm not. I'm not a fan of fan service. I'm a fan of well thought out reasons behind why you do things. Yeah. So if you do going with what you said, Dave, if we do get some of those legacy characters, right? Yeah. Then there needs to be a reason why. Yes. And here's the proper motivation. I don't want fan service. I want proper motivation out of all the legacy characters. You know, we mentioned Neelix, we mentioned Chakotay. My number one that I have to see again is Richard Picardo's doctor because I think that's the most likely that's the most likely he's he and he would be it's the easiest one to to summon because well holograms can travel trans warp well we think I I think there was a I don't remember why but there was a reason why they were located next to a satellite I want to say that that they could transmit the data of the doctor's holographic matrix to the Alpha Quadrant? To the Alpha Quadrant. But I believe that network is still there. And I'm sorry, the the, the doctor himself is perfect for a series like this. Oh. Yeah. He, his, Imagine his, his terrible bedside manner. Exactly. Trying to teach these people. I miss that bedside manner. <laughs> In fact, honestly, Dave, if we didn't get Janeway as the, as the hologram, he would have been the second choice for me. <laughs> Oh, but he wouldn't put up with any of these kids. No, that's why it would have worked so well. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I my things I would like to see is pretty much the same as yours. 
So we'll keep it simple. This does bring us to the end of our discussion. I do want to thank our listeners. I appreciate it. If you are a YouTube viewer, which we don't have a lot of those, surprisingly, our, our show actually, by the way, is now charting across the U.S. as well as the U.K. and Japan. It took a while for us to actually chart, meaning we're in the top 50 Star Trek. No, I'm sorry. Top 50 television podcasts, which is pretty nice. Oh, yeah. So we're doing great with the downloads. The YouTube, we suck. <laughs> we have like 20 views. So if you are no finding us on say there, anything. just give us some comments. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel if you find us. I know we're in a weird area. It's kind of hard for our show to grow sometimes because we're in the middle, just like we are with everything. If people listen to our shows, politics, we're in the middle. Everything, we're in the middle because we try to be objective. And because of that, it's hard for us to find a, a concrete Star Trek fan base to listen to our show because the fan base is split. You have people who loathe the Kurtzman era and you have people that don't really care about the Roddenberry era, but they like the Kurtzman era. So when they listen to our show, we're a fan of both and we're merging, we're bridging the two. And that's why it's so hard for us to to grow at times because we're split people like, oh, I don't want to hear them talk about Picard or discovery. This is all bullshit. So we're in a weird area to begin with. So we have grown slower than other podcasts. However, we have found our group over the last, I'd say 16, 17 months, which is nice. Oh yeah. So please Help us out. If you can give us those ratings and reviews to reflect our listenership, that would be fantastic. Also, we do uh, additional shows on Patreon. That's the way we pay for ourselves to continue to get into the studio and do shows. If you look behind me on the video, you can see how much here. Let me switch the video here. You can see, look at that, how much work we put in. Uh, it's essentially a radio station is what we have. We're not a podcast. In a lot of ways, we are an actual radio, radio show. show. Uh, if you look, look at David with all his equipment, you have the board up behind me. You know, we have tons of stuff going on here. Um, so we need to pay for that equipment and to turn the power on, especially during the summer months. If you guys go to our Patreon page, it does help us. Patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. And if you pledge $5 or more a month, you gain access to our behind the scenes tier where we do Star Trek pre-shows. We get into Star Trek news discussions, anything that we can't fit into our regular shows. And then, of course, we have actual full podcast on that $5 tier as well, where we get into comic book reviews that are related to Star Trek, book reviews, uh, Star Trek topics about the Maquis, uh, Q, the Borg. We do a lot. So we don't, we're not just expecting you to pay, and that's it. We give you this show, and we give you additional show. Shows. Shows. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and help Keep us alive. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.